Welcome to the Harvest Bible Chapel of Winston-Salem Podcast. We believe in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, lifting high the name of Jesus through worship, believing firmly in the power of prayer, and sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. For more information, visit harvestws.org. Here's this week's message. Good morning. I hope you're doing well. You doing all right? Man, I hope you are. Uh, I don't know how you couldn't be after our time of worship. And man, what a privilege to be able to sing, to be able to gather together as God's people in God's house to give God the glory that He is worthy of. Amen. And it's so good to be with you. If you're new, my name is Johnny Pereira and I'm the new senior pastor here. So great to be here. So great to be with you all. And um, we are kicking off, uh, or we kicked off, I should say, last week, this series, uh, Gray already made mention to it, this series called, This Is What We Do. Last week we looked at this idea of, we welcome without judgment. That that's what God has called us to do as a church. And, and I mentioned last week how a lot of times there's a lot of confusion about what we do as a church. There's a lot of confusion about that. If you maybe you are confused about that, but I know as I as I expand our the church culture, the churches I've been involved in, the churches that I've visited, and and I think that if we're not careful, we could even put ourselves into this that we can get confused about what God has called us to do, not necessarily what God has called us to believe as far as doctrine and truth of the Bible, but really what God has called us to do as a church. And if I was to poll an audience and say, well, what do you believe God has called us to do as a church? Some people might say, well, God has called us to fight. God's called us to fight. Like we're supposed to fight against false doctrine and we're supposed to uphold the truth. And I would say to you, absolutely, there's passages of scripture that talk about how we need to keep out false doctrine and false teaching. And, and you even think about Paul. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. But I would probably argue with you to say that even though there's times for us to fight for the faith, I don't think that Jesus would say that that's the mission of the church. Others of you might say, well, the church, I hope you don't say this, but some of you might say with your experiences, well, the church is about fussing. Fussing. We fuss about this, we fuss about that, we don't like this, we don't like that, and and oftentimes, if we aren't careful, we can build up our preferences as literally the thing that we worship and, and look at and say, man, my preferences actually are starting to become precepts in my life. And, and unfortunately, a lot of churches might be known not by necessarily their fighting, but their fussing, which eventually leads to fighting. Others of you might say, well, as I think about the church, it's about fellowship. And I would say, well, you're getting closer to it. But here's the danger. If, if church becomes all about fellowship, then what happens is, is we start to develop this mentality that it's us, us however, more, and, or us for, and no more. It starts to become cliquish. Like we start to like say, well, it's okay if some people come in, but they better be like us. So that's the danger, right, with with fellowship, though I would say you're starting to get closer 
to the mark. And so, if we're going to talk about what we're called to do as a church, and this series is entitled, This Is What We Do, and I just mentioned that, it, that we're not called for the church to be about fighting or fussing or even fellowship, then what has, has God called us to do? And I mentioned last week, we looked at this idea of we welcome without judgment, looking at Luke chapter 7 and how Jesus dealt with the Pharisee who was totally off base, thinking that he was self-righteous and how he was very selective even with his judgment. And we looked at this prostitute, this woman that comes to Jesus because she knows her need for him and how we are called by Jesus Christ as a church to see people the way that Jesus sees them. That I'm to see people the way that Jesus sees people. I'm called to welcome without judgment. Had some conversation before the service this morning and with different people and even throughout the week and saying, man, that was message was so convicting last week. And I and you know what I said to every person that said that? Yep, you're right. And I was convicted all week too. Because what we're going to look at last week, today, and next week are things that God has called us to do as His church that we can't do on our own. There's no way in and of your own strength, and I'm not going to tell you something new, you've probably already come to this realization, that in and of your own strength, in and of your own nature, you can't welcome without judgment. What we're going to look at today, we're not going to be able to do it in and of ourselves. What we're going to look at next week, we're not going to be able to do it in and of ourselves. And that's awesome. Because it reminds ourselves that we have to be dependent upon the power that rests in every person who's called Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. The power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we're going to be the church that God wants us to be. And the only way that we're going to do what Jesus has called us to do. So I want you to turn to John 13. This is where we're going to be this morning. John 13. And we're going to look at three verses I'm going to read verse 33. Really, we're going to deal with just two verses in verses 34 and 35. But we're going to read here in just a moment, verse 33, because it sets the stage of where we are. And we're going to look at this idea, if you're taking notes. This is the, the idea that we're going to pound home today as we look at God's Word, is what Jesus calls us to, be, to do as a church. And it's this, that not only do we welcome without judgment, but that we love without condition. That we love without condition. Here's what I want you to understand. I want you to hear me well on this. That I believe as I read the pages of God's Word, that He has called me as a pastor of this church to love you. It's a commitment that God has called me to make towards you, to love you. And it's not just a commitment, it's a privilege. I want you to hear me say that. That I consider it a privilege to get to know you better. For you to get to know our family better. For us to love you the way that Jesus loves me. It's a commitment. It's a responsibility. That I'm going to give an account one day before Almighty God on how I have loved this church. It's a serious thing. And as much as that's a commitment that God has called me to make, it's a responsibility, it's a privilege that He's given me to have here in this church in Winston-Salem, I want you to understand this, that He's also put before you a commitment and a privilege and a responsibility to love one another. 
Because last week we looked at a message that really dealt with how we relate to people who have yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because that's what was going on in Luke 7. Is Here's a woman who had a horrible past, but yet she realized her need for Jesus. And Jesus welcomed her without judgment as He's done with every one of us who've come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at deals with how we love each other in this place. In this place. How you love your fellow brother, your fellow sister that calls this place their home. It's a type of love. Loving without condition means that I'm going to love even in the tough times, in the bad times. Like I'm going to extend love when someone messes up. This happened to me last night. So we're getting settled into our house and many of you know that and looking forward to having, uh, having you all over to our house at different times. And, and so you have to understand this about my kids. They are deathly afraid of anything that resembles a bee. Anything. It's like DEFCON 5 in the Pereira house when that happens. And last night was one of those times. So Lucas runs down the stairs. He's like, Daddy, 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 there's a bee upstairs in, in the rec room upstairs. There's this bee. And so I'm like, all right. So I go and I get a towel from the kitchen. And I'm swinging around. I'm like, all right, Daddy's going to save the day. So I go, I go up into that rec room. And I'm like, well, where is it? He's like, oh, it's on the fan. It's, it's right next to the light. And so I look. And on the, the, the pull thing that you pull down to turn the fan on and off, there it sits. But it's not a bee, it's like this big moth. But anyway, I'm like, alright, I'm going to deal with this. Well, we had one of these moths in the living room the night before. And as I'm standing there and I'm looking at this moth, I hear Lori's words that she told me the night before in my head. Don't swipe at that, you're going to break the light. But I thought to myself, you know what, where it's at, it's far enough between the lights on the fan. I got this. I got good aim. So I take that towel and I wind it up and I'm ready and bam, I hit that. I hit the moth. It's on the ground. But the problem is I did exactly what Lori thought I was going to do and I broke that light. Now here's the awesome thing. It was on the side that when you walk into that room, you can't even tell it's broken. So I grabbed up the pieces along with the moth. I achieved what I was called to do as the hero of my house. And so I went to the trash can and Lori was in the kitchen and I was trying to hide it. Which just if you know, I can never hide anything from her. Which is God's grace in my life. And so I I had the glass and I literally had it in the trash can and Lori just gave me a look. She knew exactly what I did. But you know what I love about her? She loved me anyway. That's a silly thing. That she loved me without condition for a silly thing. And thankfully she's loved me without condition for many serious things. But God's called us not just to love without condition in the silly things. He's called us to love without condition in the serious things and the significant things. I'm going to make a statement that is, that is a reality for every one of us, but it's a reality that we often forget is that you're going to disappoint those that you love. Shocker! I know! You're going to disappoint them. And here's another reality. They're going to disappoint you. Here's one that's really going to blow your minds. I'm going to disappoint you. 
You're going to have certain expectations of me and I'm going to fall short. You know why? Because we're all in the same boat. We're all human beings with sinful nature. And we're going to fail and we're going to disappoint and we're going to sin. That's not the question. The question is, is how are we going to love when it happens? Are we going to love without condition? And man, I hope that as I'm even saying this, as we're about to get into the pages of God's Word, that you're starting to feel attention from where you are, and you know you are, if you're being real with yourself, to where God has called us to be as a person and as a church. Remember, this isn't as much a series about you or me as it is a series about us. Look at the person next to you and say, this is about us. Yeah. And so hopefully you're feeling that tension. Hopefully you're feeling that gap. Hopefully you're feeling, man, oh man, I haven't even, we haven't even gotten 15 minutes into this message and I'm already feeling convicted. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because my prayer for myself, and I've already had to repent of things in my own life, and Lord, I see where I've fallen short and I haven't loved without condition. I've forgotten to extend love the way that you've loved me. And I praise God for that in my life. So let the Spirit convict today. The Holy Spirit show us where we need to love, where we're loving with condition instead without of con- without condition. So would you look at John 13? Let's look at, I'm going to start in verse 33. And before I read, let me just set the context. Jesus is in the upper room with His disciples. And we're given this amazing story that we don't really find in detail in anywhere else in the Gospels. And Jesus is in the upper room with His disciples. He's just gotten done washing their feet. Like God Almighty who created their feet. Who washed their feet with water. The thing that God called, Jesus called into existence. Yet Jesus humbles Himself and does what they didn't even remember to do. And He washes their feet. And He sets for them an example of what a servant leader looks like. Jesus washes His feet. They're up there eating. They've had communion. They've had the Last Supper. And now Jesus says these words. Look at verse 33. He says, little children, which isn't a put down. It's it's just a term that Jesus used for His disciples. It's a term of endearment. He says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. So we're not at months from the cross We're not weeks from the cross. We're not years from the cross. We're literally very hours and minutes from when Jesus is going to be arrested and go before trial and be on the cross for your sins and mine. We're literally hours and minutes away from that. And Jesus says, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Speaking of the cross. Like, I'm with you just a little bit longer. And where I'm about to go, you're not going to be able to go. Now look at verse 34. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want to pray right here. The Lord would show us where maybe we're loving with condition instead of loving without condition. The Spirit would do His work. 
that if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, His perfect life, His perfect death, His perfect resurrection for you, you've never, you've never accepted Christ's love as your own, that you would do that today. I want to pray for that. I want to pray for us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Let me do that. God, I thank You today for the opportunity already to gather together to sing and to praise who You are and Your love for us and that You are risen and that You are uh, in heaven not as a victor but victorious because You defeated the grave and You are our Savior. And so Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture and look at the love that You've called us to extend to one another, the same love that You have for us, God, would You allow our hearts to be open to where Your Spirit will convict, where Your Spirit will challenge us on maybe areas where we have not loved without condition. God, we're ready. God, would You not allow me to say anything that You don't want me to say. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to give you five things this morning on how we love without condition. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. It's found at the beginning of verse 34. I just read it where Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Here's the first one. If we're going to love without condition, we have to embrace love's priority. It needs to be a priority in our life. We need to see it as such. We need to see it as the thing. You know, Jesus refers to love as being the summation of the Old Testament law throughout the Gospels. When we see him do that in Matthew 22, remember that, that, that uh, person that was trying to trip Jesus up? And he says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment of the law? Trying to trip Jesus up. And Jesus just simply says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You know what Jesus does? He tells this person what he should already know. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. But then Jesus says, and the second commandment is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus already has been referring to the the reality that if we're going to love God as a priority, then we also need to love one another as a priority. We need to embrace love as a priority. It's not new. We even find it in Leviticus 19. Where it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus has been saying this throughout His ministry that He's on this earth. But we find ourselves here in John 13 where Jesus is with His disciples right before He goes to the cross and He almost gives, it's almost like He's saying, I have some final instructions for you. Like I have some things that I don't want you to forget. Final instructions. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting there with the disciples and, and I'm Jesus, I would be thinking to myself, you know what I need to do? I need to do some major review. Like, all right, disciples, we're going to take out some papyri and some feathers, and we're about to take a quiz on the last three years of teaching that I've given you. Like, that would be what I'd want to do probably what you would want to do, but we don't, we don't see Jesus do this. I mean, I think review is pretty important if you're going to learn. I mean, if you're a parent, how many of you think review is very important as you're parenting your kids? Thumbs up if you agree, thumbs down if you disagree. Yeah, thumbs up. Man, none of you are raising your hands, which tells me we need to do a series on parenting. 
We know review is important. Because review is what drives home the truth that we're trying to get across. But Jesus doesn't do this here. In fact, He says, I want to introduce some new content. Yeah, right before I'm about to go to trial, right before I know I'm about to go to the cross, I actually want to give you disciples some new content, a new commandment. But here's what I find. I mean, if I'm sitting there, let's put ourselves in this passage of Scripture, which, as I said last week, I encourage you to do, especially when you're reading a narrative. Put yourself in the story. So let's do that here. The disciples are sitting around this table and Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. And they're maybe thinking to themselves, all right. Jesus is about about to give some clarity. So man, Jesus is going to teach us how to pray. Jesus is going to teach us how to pray. Because even though He mentioned how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, we were on that mountainside, Jesus is going to even be more clear on how we're to pray because we've seen the way that Jesus prays. But Jesus doesn't do that. We know that. Or maybe they would have said, hey, Jesus is going to teach us how to preach. He's going to give us five tips on how to communicate God's Word in His absence. We're ready. Jesus doesn't do that. Or maybe they thought to themselves, man, we're ready. Jesus is going to teach us about faith. And the disciples are saying, man, like Jesus has criticized us over and over and over again saying, oh, you have little faith. So Jesus is going to teach us about faith, but... We know He doesn't teach Him about prayer and His final instructions aren't about faith and His final instructions aren't about how to teach God's Word. We know that His final instructions are on how to love. We can succeed at a thousand different things as a church. We have four pillars. If you've been here at all, you know them well. We could be a church that's about preaching God's Word unapologetically. And I am all for that or I wouldn't be here. We can be a church that is about unashamed adoration and worshiping and lifting high the name of Jesus. We can be a church that's about unceasing prayer and praying to God knowing that unless we pray, God is not going to work. We could be unafraid in our witness and share the Gospel because we know it's what God's called us to do. But get this, if we are not loving, we're not doing what God has called us to do as a church. If we are not loving without condition, then we are falling short of what God's called us to do. We have to embrace love as our priority. Here's the second thing. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. That's engage love's power. That you love one another. Not just embrace love as a priority, but engage love's power. I was trying to think of words, of visuals to describe the enormity of what love is in our relationships to one another. And I thought of this. Like, let's describe love in our relationships with one another as Mount Everest. Like, love is the Mount Everest of relational capacities. Like many of you know, if not all of you know, Mount Everest is the tallest point in the world. 29,029 feet. Relationally, that's the love that Jesus is talking about here. Relationally, if we love like that, that's the capacity and the, cap- and the capability that love can have in your relationship. It's the Mount Everest in your relationships. Now, the English has one word for love. Just one. 
So I can literally go and eat today lunch and say, man, I love what I'm eating. I can watch football this afternoon and say, I love whoever's playing today. English has one word for love. But many of you know that the Greek in which the New Testament is written in has, has different words for love. It has the word phileo, which is where the city of Philadelphia gets its name. It's a brotherly love. It's a, really, it's an Old Testament kind of love, like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Like, you did this to me, and so I'm going to do this to you. Really not an awesome type of love. You have that eros love, which is a speaking of physical intimacy that, that should be there between a husband and a wife. There's that eros type of love, that physical type of love. And then there's that third word, and many of you know it well. It's that word agape, right? It's that supernatural love. It's that selfless love that says, I don't care how you treat me, I'm going to love you. It's the type of love that we look at it and say, I'm done then. Like, that's the type of love that Jesus is saying here. That you love, that you have this supernatural, God kind of love, unselfish, vertical, supernatural, only God can help me do this type of love. It's not this romance that, this, this, that we see, you know, on the TV screen where I can be in love with 15 different people and all. It's not that. I mean, the media has skewed our idea of love. It's not that type of love. It's the supernatural kind. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. It's a type of love that we find in Galatians 5. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's, only the, it's the type of love that only God can produce in us as His children. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, I always refer to as the wedding chapter. I've had the opportunity to do a lot of weddings. And I can rarely not remember a time where 1 Corinthians 13 wasn't read in some shape or form. It's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that that's oftentimes where we hear it, right? And oftentimes it's lived up through the honeymoon and after that, right, it goes downhill, unfortunately. Like, I'm of the opinion that premarital counseling really ought to be postmarital counseling. Like, we ought to meet with the couple like a month after they're married, right? Because I know when I do a lot of premarital counseling, it's like, <laughs> and you're just sitting there and agreeing, oh, absolutely, I'm going to love her just like I love myself. Whew. Yes, yes, Jesus, I'm going to do that. I'm already doing that. And you just stare at one another, right? And then after a month, I'm like, hey, how you guys doing? Oh, we're doing good. No, you're not. You're starting to feel, realize the reality that I've been telling you for six weeks that you're living with a sinner. But we come to this passage of Scripture which does remind us of this supernatural agape type of love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, then look at the part, second, last part of verse 2, but have not love, say it with me. Say those three words with me. What? I am what? Nothing. Nothing. Then he gives specific things on what this God type of love looks like. He says in verse 4, love is patient and it's kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never 
ends. Some of your translations may say, love never fails. What does that mean? It means this, love never fails at anything. Not your brotherly love, not your physical love, but this God's supernatural type of love that only comes from the Holy Spirit's power in and through us. It never fails. Never fails. This type of love is relational dynamite, but in a good way. Like, this is the type of love that removes obstacles, blows them away. This is the type of love that keeps someone loving in spite of what they've done. In spite of those disappointments we were talking about. In spite of those failures that we were talking about. God doesn't desire us to have this status quo type of love. You know what the status quo is? I have a word for it. Fine. Like how many of you said, how many of you have been at, have ever been asked and say, you know, how's your, how's your marriage? Fine. How's your relationship with your kids? Fine. How's your relationship with your mom or dad? Fine. How's your relationship with the people in your church? Fine. How was church? Fine. It's a sorry word. Fine. Status quo. God's design for His people and His church is not for us to settle for the status quo. God's expectation for His church and for you and me is not for us to be okay with fine. It's us saying that even though it's hard to love, even though I can't do it on my own, but it's only through the Holy Spirit working in and through me, that I'm going to believe, love believes, and I'm going to believe, God believes, that He's still working. That God's not finished with that person yet. That God's not finished with you yet. See, it's real easy for me to believe that God's not finished with me yet. A lot harder for me to believe that God's not finished with you yet. Right? How many of you would raise your hand? I'm going to do this right now. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I praise God that God's not finished with me yet. Raise your hand. You guys did a lot better than the 9 o'clock. I mean, I raise both hands. Praise God, God's not finished with me yet. And it's so easy for me to receive that type of supernatural love from God. For me, when I mess up, to come to God and say, Lord, would you forgive me and know that because of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, that God has forgiven me and receive that and get back up and keep going and knowing that God is continually working and growing me and relish in that, but then my brother or sister fail me and me not being willing to extend that to others. Ought not to be so. I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, well, what do you do with those what if I'm in a relationship and they keep, they keep harming me and wronging me over and over and over and over and over again? Like, where's the boundaries in that? I mean, you can't keep loving and loving and loving and loving. And I would say, yes, you can. When you understand, when you have a proper understanding of what love is. 
Because did anybody notice in 1 Corinthians 13 that I skipped verse 6? I hope you did. Look at verse 6. Paul says about love, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Here's what I want you to understand. Love does set boundaries. One of the best books on boundaries that I've ever read was by a man named Henry Cloud. He wrote a book on boundaries. And then he wrote another book on necessary endings. And here's what he said, sometimes the most loving thing is not allowing the person to continue to cause the damage that they're doing. To say, hey, at the very least, we need a time out here. Because this pattern doesn't appear to be self-correcting in the current routine. And loving someone enough to say, we need a new routine. We need a new plan. Sometimes the most loving thing that you can say is we need to set this boundary here. Because we're not going to rejoice in iniquity. We're going to rejoice in the truth. And I don't know about you, but those are hard conversations. To love someone enough to say, we're not doing this anymore. Because that means there's a fear of being rejected. But when I don't love someone that way, then really I'm loving myself more than that person because I'm more concerned about what they think of me than that person and where they're going. Love does set boundaries. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity or sin. It rejoices in the truth. And here's what I've figured out as well. By God's grace, man, I've been a pastor for 17 years. And I've used a lot of tools in ministry in 17 years. And I remember the first four years of ministry serving with a pastor in Pennsylvania who, if I'm to think of someone who emulated this type of love the most, I would think of him. And I remember him pounding home at me, you know what, Johnny? The tool that you use in ministry is not always the hammer. Because I'd be like, that's a problem? Let's deal with it. That's a board that's sticking up? Let's nail that sucker. Let's nail it down. And I used the hammer and I learned that this isn't always the best tool to use, the best tool to love. And then there was times in my ministry that was like, I know what we're going to use. We're going to use the drill. We're going to get to the heart of the matter. Like we're, going to, we're not going to mess with the fruit. We're going to get to the root. Let's get to the heart. And while that's not a bad thing, there's times, yeah, where you've got to use the hammer. And like I said, we, we, we need to keep out false doctrine. And we don't need to let that exist. And, and there, we need to get to the root and not just deal with the fruit. I get that. But man, I've learned that it's not always the drill that gets it right away. Here's what I've learned. Let me reach into this. Is that what I've found is what's most needed is what God often uses on me. And that's the chisel. Where God is saying, you know what, I'm going to chisel that away. Here's something that I'm refining you, I'm going to chisel that away. Man, there's so many times in my life that I'm glad that God didn't just use the hammer because I wouldn't be here today. I wonder how many of us, we're still loving, we're not rejoicing in iniquity, but we're rejoicing in the truth. And we're just saying, hey, how does God, God's calling me to be the chisel here. Not to compromise truth, but to love in the way that God has loved me. Here's the third thing. Look at verse, go back to John 13. The end of, it says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. And then here is like, The reason why it's a new commandment. 
Remember earlier I said, this is not new information that Jesus is giving, but yet He calls it a new commandment? Here's why. Because He says, I command you, I'm giving you a new command that you love one another. And then He uses this phrase, just as I have loved you. That's what makes it a new commandment. Jesus said, remember to the Pharisee, ask him the question, you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. It says in Leviticus 19, remember, love your neighbor as yourself. But now we have God Almighty, God in the flesh, second person of the Godhead, living a perfect life for you and I, showing us, not just telling us, but showing us what it looks like to love without condition. That's why He says it's a new commandment. Because I've showed you what it looks like, and now I want you to emulate me. That's the third thing. If we're going to love without condition, we emulate love's example. Now, can we go back up to, to the upper room of the disciples? Can you imagine? The bread's being passed around, the, the wine's being passed around, and they're sitting eating, and they're talking, and all of a sudden Jesus says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another, and they're like, okay, Jesus, we've heard that, and then He says, just as I have loved you. And I can imagine like the mouths drop, food coming out of their mouth, maybe the wine gets spilled, and they're like, what? Like you had me at loving one another until you said, just as I have loved you. And them saying, we've seen Jesus love this way. We've seen Jesus not reject anyone who comes to Him, no matter of their status, no matter of their sin. We've seen the way Jesus has forgiven and even dealt with the people that were all about ruining His reputation. We've seen Jesus welcome without judgment. We've seen Jesus love without condition. We've seen Him give and give and give and give and it not be in return. We've seen that type of love and we're supposed to love that way? And Jesus says, you need to emulate my example. I mean, Jesus is hours away, as I said before. Hours away. And He knows that He's going to be on that cross for you and for me. He's going to live that perfect life that none of us can live. He's going to die on that cross paying the debt that my sin deserved. Because Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but thank God that it says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is about to be on that cross and love without condition. And so the thoughts that we're thinking right now, man, I've loved long enough, I've loved true enough, I've loved close enough, and I'm at the end of the highway with her or him. I want you to think about that. Praise God that God's not at the end of the highway with you. With me. Let me give you the fourth thing. And it's found at the end of verse 34. Not only embrace love as a priority, not only engage love's power, not only emulate love's example, but here's the fourth thing. Escape love's substitutes. Because Jesus says to His disciples, you are to love one another. You may have not have thought of this yet, but Judas is in that room. Jesus knew what He was about to do. And He loved Him anyway. He says, you are to love one another. Remember, this isn't a message about they who aren't a part of this church. This is a message about us. 
And the focus here, the reason why Jesus repeats this yet again, right? He says it twice in two verses, is not to tell His disciples, hey, are you getting this? Like, we're not going through this passage today just to say, are we getting this church today? We're going through this passage and Jesus repeated Himself with the disciples because His question was not are you getting this, but are you giving this? Are you giving it? Am I giving it? Are we giving it to one another? And so here's what I want to do, just like last week when we talked about judgment, we're talking about love today, and I don't want anyone to get confused this morning, or have a fear, or have a, I have a fear of misunderstanding here. So here's what I want to do, because we're told to love one another, and what does it really look like to love? And I want to give you some things, because I think first of all, what I want to talk about and give you is five love substitutes. Five love substitutes that often we do instead of really loving, and we do them to try to ease our conscience that we're actually loving and we're not. Here's the first one. Sentimentalism. Like we do the things, not really for the other person, but because they make us feel good, because it's tradition. I've seen that in churches. Like, well, we've always done that food drive, or we've always done this, or we've always done that, and there's nothing wrong with any of the things that we always do, but sometimes we forget why we do them. It's not about me having warm feelings. It's about me extending Christ's love. And we can be sentimental and think that that's love. And it's not. It's a substitute. Here's the second thing. Shallowness. Like, well, I'm going to do that to appease my conscience. That's what I'm supposed to do. I heard today I'm supposed to love without conditions. So I'm going to give it the good old try. I'm going to tell you, you'll you'll fall before two hours hit after this. And it's all about appeasing our conscience. It's shallow. It's not love. It's not the God supernatural type of love talked about here. It's not agape love. Here's the third thing. Sweetness. I like sweetness. I like to be sweet to people. Now here's something that was told to me when I first came here. I'm going to hear from the community when I interact with people this phrase, bless your heart. (laughs) I've already heard it. And they told me, now when people say bless your heart, it can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing. Be like, bless, bless your heart, like, like, it's so good to meet you. Or bless your heart, like, you're really screwed up. <laughs> and then someone after the 9 a.m. said it can also mean this, I'm so glad I'm not you. Right? Then we mistake sweetness with supernatural, God-altering love. And it's not. It's not sweetness. It's not selective. You know, James 2.1 says we are to avoid partiality. It's not selective. Listen, there's nothing more damaging to the church than this phrase, I love him, but not him. I love her, but not her. It's the most damaging thing. To have this partiality, any remnant of it, in our home. Like you, see, you read the Old Testament, you see a lot of this going on. Abraham with Isaac over Ishmael. Where did that get us? And then Isaac repeats the same thing with Jacob over Esau. And then Jacob 
perpetuates the same thing with his twelve sons and prefers Joseph over his other sons. And it always ends in disaster. Because love's not selective. God's desire is for every person to be treated the same. Every person to be loved the same. The ones that are hard and the ones that are easy. And if you haven't gotten this already, like I said before, this cannot be done on our own. It's not selective. Here's the last thing it's not. It's not service. Just me serving. Serving isn't necessarily this type of love either. Because I can serve a lot of times out of guilt. I can serve once again so I get warm feelings. Get this, I can even right now serve in this church and it not be motivated out of love. Now, I'm all about, if you call this place your home, you serving in this church. Don't get me wrong on that. Just ask yourself, those of you that are actually serving, when's the last time you served as a greeter and you handed that that sheet, that program, that outline to someone at the door and you said, man, I'm here for one reason and one reason only. That is to show the love of Jesus through the way that I smile and I welcome people when they come in those doors. That I serve in children's ministry. And when I come in those doors, I'm like, man, when is Jacob going to get more volunteers? Instead, I'm thinking to myself, I have the privilege today to take those little children, those little souls, and to love them like Jesus. And God only knows what those seeds of the Gospel, what they're going to bear fruit in those kids' lives. Man, I'm going to serve, and I'm going to love as I serve. See, I can serve and not necessarily love. But I would be remiss to just stop at the substitutes rather than also giving you some things that will really super supercharge the way that we love. And let me give them to you quickly. Here's the first one. Listening. Listening. Saying, is there anything else? Am I understanding you? Is this what you're trying to say? I had to do that this week with Lori. Like her literally and thankfully saying, you're running around doing all these things. I need you to stop and I need you to listen. Listening. Here's the second thing. Giving grace. Giving grace. When the news comes, man, and you're like, alright, this is about to drop. Saying, man, I need to get my grace loaded. Here's the third thing. Believing. Believing. It's one of the best things that you can do. Doesn't verse 7 say in 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, and what does it do? It believes all things. And here's the next thing. Limiting. Limiting. Remember, rejoices not in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth, saying, hey, I'm going to love because I care about you, and I'm going to limit what you're, what you're, you, the, the practice that you're doing right now, and you're headed to destruction. God, I'm, I'm going to do what God does with me. I'm going to limit it, but I'm going to do it out of love. Here's the last thing, sacrificing saying, I'm going to go the distance with you even though it's not easy, even though it's going to be hard because Jesus goes the distance with me. And then I want to end in verse 35. Look at what Jesus says. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. By this, by what? By loving without condition. 
Not how much I know, not how much I pray, not how much faith I have, not how much I read God's Word, not how much I give in the offering plate. Though all those things are an evidence of my relationship with God. But by my love, extend love's impact. That's the fifth thing. Extend love's impact. I'm going to read to you this poem about love and the author is anonymous. But as we close this morning, and I know we've covered a lot and I know we've gone a little long, but this is what we do. This is what we're called to do. It says, love is the greatest thing. It's the greatest. God the Father says so. Jesus the Son models it. The Holy Spirit is prompting us toward it. Love is the greatest thing. Love is the greatest force. Love transforms the heart of every person in its path. Love is the greatest. Love reaches across the chasm of hurt and misunderstanding. Love brings healing and forgiveness and hope to the weary. Love keeps giving even when no one notices or thanks. Love keeps going even when the end is not in sight. Love keeps growing in the heart of everyone who believes that God's way is best. God's way is the way of love. Love is the greatest. And we never do anything so godlike and great as when we choose to love. Listen to me. This is what we do. This is what we do. God, we've heard your word this morning, and no doubt. The Holy Spirit has shown us areas in our life where we need to love without condition. God, there's areas that we need to, as we leave today, to confess to our spouse, to, to seek for reconciliation with friends, whatever it may be, and just to, just to repent and say, I'm sorry, I have not loved you without condition. God, would we be submissive to where the Holy Spirit speaks and we would we repent of that sin and relish in the fact that You love us without condition. That You don't look at us as failures, but You look at us as individuals that are saved and redeemed by Your Son, Jesus Christ. God, may we be known in this community as a church that loves without condition. And may we be ready to see the amazing things that You're going to do in this place when we love that way. We ask for Your help. We ask for Your strength because it's the only way that we can ever hope to do this. And it's in Your name, in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Harvest Bible Chapel Winston-Salem Podcast. For more information, visit harvestws.org.